Well, that's a great question. I heard that probably 12 or 13 times in a 45-minute conversation on the phone that I was having with one of the leaders that I get to support from time to time. Every time I asked her a question, she said, huh, that's a great question. <laughs> Although it might feel good to have someone say that because you're such a great inquisitor. <laughs> the reality of it is I'm not all that good at asking questions that every one of the questions I asked was a great question. I know I'm good at it, but I'm not that good at it. <laughs> oh, let's talk today about great questions and why all effective leaders, managers, influencers of people are good at asking great questions. Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Nice. Perfect. Came out of the humidor at about 70% humidity. It's a little challenging to keep it at exactly the right level. But this is one of those cigars that needs to be humidified perfectly. Just whipped out my torch there. Oh, let me straighten that up just a little bit. Ah, there we go. There we go. Hey, thanks for joining me today. If you were here, I'd give you one of these Crazy Alice cigars from the Deadwood Tobacco Company. It's a Nicaraguan cigar a wrapper and binder and filler, and it's a Maduro, so it's really dark on the outside. It's also a shape that you don't see very often, a shape and size. It's called a Figurado, and it's about four inches long, so it's a nice small cigar, but it's tapered, so it's quite small at the head and good size, like 52 ring gauge at the foot. Mm. Mm. surprising as small as it is this cigar will probably take me about 45 minutes to smoke delightfully constructed cigar it's got a great smell really enjoyable aroma and it doesn't smell like a good old like white owl cigar <laughs> from back in the day oh man those were horrible cigars to smell i never had one of course because they're foul <laughs> did you catch the pun there Someone needs to edit me. I'm on a bit of a roll here today. This is a Thursday afternoon, and I had a couple of meetings that were rescheduled, so I thought, let's just hop on and share this podcast with you that I've been thinking about. So, hopped into the studio, and here we go to share with you the Crazy Alice Cigar. Mm-mm. Yep. This is good. You might really enjoy this. It's mild to medium-bodied cigars, so it doesn't kick you in the face, but it smells really good. And with it, I am going to be sharing with you, and I think this has starred on one of our earlier podcasts, but it's quite good, and I think it'll go well with this crazy Alice. 
Ah, yes, this is Bib and Tucker, and it's a small batch uh, bourbon. This one is the uh, six-year age statement. I think there's a 12-year. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a 10-year, but there's a 12-year as well. So it's 46% alcohol by volume, so that would make it 92 proof. Just about right. Pour a little bit over that one block of ice. Just a little bit right there. Not much because I don't want to have a lot of this. This is actually quite good. I've had it before. It's a bourbon that comes from a company called 35 Maple Street Spirits. Rumor has it that it's actually sourced from the Dickel Distillery. It's been around for a few years, probably eight years or something like that, although this is a six-year bourbon. They released this bourbon back in 2014. That's, oh, really nice smell. Very nice smell. It's 70% uh, corn and 26% rye. Okay, so we'll be able to catch a nice rye taste and then about 4% malted barley. It's got a nice medium dark color to it. I think you would like like it. it smells smells quite good it smells um i can smell barley in it um, not a common smell it's really quite good really quite good let's give it a first sip and see what i think mm, wow it tastes like it's got a higher proof than it actually has feels a little thinner than some of the bourbons that i've had before but it's not bad Mm, there we have some of the rye spice start coming through after I had that first sip of that. Give it a minute to kind of settle. And I'm also picking up, oh, it might sound strange to you. I have no idea. See, I don't read reviews of these bourbons before I tell you what I think or before I try them. I just hear people say they're good and I want to give it a try. Now, who knows? Maybe maybe I'm a little nuts here, but I think I can pick up a little bit of a, of a licorice, maybe anise or licorice flavor in the aftertaste of this. Pretty good. Not bad for a six-year bourbon. Not bad at all. It's definitely interesting. Makes me curious. Am I the only one that's tasted this? I'll read the review later and find out if I'm the only one that's picked up the little bit of licorice. And the longer it sits in my taste buds, this is probably going to be an insult, but it, it tastes a little bit like freshly mowed grass smells. Hmm. But that's just subtle hint. Mostly, it's mostly licorice. And I'm picking up that rye. Oh, pretty good stuff. Let's see. One more time. Mm-hmm. It's got a very interesting taste to it, and interesting in a good way. You know, if a gourmet cook gives you food and you taste it, and then they say, what do you think? And you said, it's interesting. It's usually a little bit of an insult. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting in this case is not an insult. I really like it. I think that someone else who has this might love it, or they might hate it. There's probably not going to be any middle-of-the-road folks, but I'm quite intrigued. This is a great bourbon, and it goes, mm-hmm goes very well with that crazy Alice. Bib and Tucker and crazy Alice. The name Bib and Tucker, uh, if I understand correctly, is, uh, you know, back in the, the early days of our, of our nation here in the United States, if somebody was all dressed up fancy, they were said to have put on their Bib and Tucker. <laughs> so I guess this is supposed to be fancy. It's got a really cool bottle too. I like it a lot. Look it up. Look up Bib, B-I-B, Bib and Tucker bourbon, and you'll see the bottle that I'm holding right now. It's a dark, dark bottle, and it looks like something that came out of the 1850s maybe. I don't know. It's great. It's really good. Okay. So how many questions have you asked today? How many questions have you asked out loud today? <laughs> Not the ones you ask in your head, like, how do you live with yourself? Or questions like that. <laughs> what were they thinking? Oh, now what are they going to do? None of those kind of questions, but the kind of questions that we ask out loud and intentionally. What kind of questions have you asked today? 
I was a participant a few days ago in a meeting of, I think, nine or ten leaders. Some of them are from some of our enterprises and some from a few others. And we were together for about three hours, maybe three and a half hours, something like that. I noticed a few minutes into the meeting that no one was asking questions. There were a couple of points in time where it seemed to me really obvious that someone should ask a question. So I asked a question, and then that pivoted the conversation a little bit. And then I sat back and watched and listened to see if other people would ask questions. In this three and a half hour meeting, I didn't hear one question asked. And I'm not kidding, I'm not exaggerating or underzaggerating, is that a word? Not one person asked a question of another person in that meeting. Everyone was making declarative statements. Nobody asked a question. These are very good leaders. These are very sharp leaders. As I mentioned, some of them are our own leaders and some are leaders of organizations that we are partnered with. It was a pleasant meeting. It was, I think, a productive meeting, but it struck me that no one asked a question. As I began to notice that, it became so apparent to me that I literally sat back for much of the meeting and listened and listened and listened because it is natural for me now to ask questions and I didn't want to taint the little scientific, well, unscientific study that I was conducting to see if these really effective leaders asked any questions. At one point, someone got pretty close to asking a question, but it was really more of an accusation than a question. (laughs) Something along the line of, what were you thinking? How could you possibly have done that? Which really isn't a question. It's more of a stab or an accusation. It was really quite intriguing to me because if you and I are to be effective as leaders in some way, whether we have a position or not, we need to be very very good at asking questions. So in this podcast, I would like to share with you why that's so important and give you a few tips about how to ask good questions. And then towards the end of the podcast here in a few minutes, I will share with you four of my favorite questions that all link together. So another sip of the bib and tucker and another puff on the cigar and let's dive right in. That experience after I left that meeting was set in dark contrast with the car ride that I had back to our hotel room. I was picked up by Donnie Kitagua, who is the executive vice president of the RMC group of companies, and he did not attend that meeting with me, but picked me up, and we hopped in the car together. He asked me how was the meeting, and asked who was there, and asked what decisions were made, and what does he need to know, and what does he need to do. Literally, he asked it just like that, and then partway through our conversation as we're trundling back to the hotel, his cell phone rang. He answered the phone. I couldn't hear who was on the other side, but I surmised in a moment or so that it was one of the leaders in one of our enterprises who called him with a problem that needed to be solved. And since by this point in time, I was so intrigued by the lack of questions that were happening in the meeting I had just left, I sat back and listened to his side of the conversation and began to count how many questions Donnie asked the person on the other end of the phone. In a matter of a few minutes, he had asked 14 questions of the person on the other end of the phone. (laughs) By the time I got through about six or seven of those, I realized I was able to begin to guess who the person was, which is one of our leaders, and what the theme was that that call was about. By the time he got to his 14th question, because I literally was counting, (laughs) seven, eight, nine, (laughs) he got to the very end and he said, all right, I have one last question of you. What do you think should happen? 
So that totaled to 15 questions. I felt like game show music should have gone on right there. 15 questions. He paused for a moment as he was listening and said, then do that. I could hear the person on the other end saying something. He said, thank you for the call and hung up and then turned back to me. And we continued our conversation about the meeting that I had left. Donnie is the king of questions. He might be one of the most effective question askers I've ever met. He also, if you've met him, and many of you have who listen to these podcasts, he's also someone who has a very high velocity of thought. He runs ahead of slow thinkers pretty quickly. (laughs) Uh, It's funny to watch. If I ever suck air, he will jump in with a question. He also has, along with a high velocity of thought, thankfully, a high velocity of work. He just gets shit done fast, and it's really good whenever he does it. But sometimes he has a little bit of a, because he's so good at asking questions and he thinks so quickly, he has a little bit of a, I don't know, get there quicker kind of tone (laughs) in his voice. But people who report to him in our enterprises and people who work closely with him have come to appreciate that and learn that. And so they take a deep breath and dive in because they know they're going to get asked a lot of questions. He has a pace to his questions that are really good and people like it a lot once they learn it. And I have found it to be incredibly effective. At one point, I'm sure this is a true story and not apocryphal, he was in a meeting with some of our leadership teams across our companies, and he asked a question, and the person said back to him, that's a great question. He, before they could even let the sound die out, he immediately said, well, of course it's a great question. It's the only kind of questions I have. (laughs) And then moved on. (laughs) I think he means it. (laughs) But he's good. He's very, very good at that. Why is it that he's so good at asking all of those questions? And why is it that I have learned and then taught some of my other leaders to ask really good questions? What's the difference between somebody who asks good questions and somebody who feels like they need to have a bunch of declarations or a bunch of answers? It's really interesting, isn't it? Well, let's dive into this a little bit now that we've spent a few minutes yammering about cigars and bourbon and questions. Let's dive in just a little bit. As you remember from many of our other podcasts or some of our Hilt Academy YouTube channel, H-I-L-T Academy YouTube channel. If you've not been there yet, hey, hit a pause button. Run over there on YouTube and check out some of our videos and subscribe while you're there. Shameless plug, because I really am quite pleased with some of the work that the team has done to put that stuff together. But it's pretty good stuff. Anyway, come back. Now you're back, okay? So as I've said many times, great leaders, and whenever I use the term leader, you know I don't mean it. it's a leader by position. It's a leader who leads because people follow them. Every great leader has got a fundamental common characteristic. Here it is. We've said it before. Here it is. All great leaders are curious. They are relentlessly curious, and they're curious about how things really are. Their curiosity is the most common characteristic that people experience in them. They've come to know, and then I've learned from them, hopefully you get to learn this as well, that their curiosity is their best friend. They've come to understand that their questions, their great questions, (laughs) are their most powerful leadership tool. They've also come to understand that curiosity, genuine curiosity, requires humility means I have to walk around understanding that I know a few things, but a lot of things I don't know. And so to have that kind of posture, that humble posture, is something that drives all great leaders that we have admired and studied over the years. 
They also know that their questions need to be of a certain type in order to work. They need to be precise. They need to be what I'll call good questions. What my friend on the phone earlier may have called a great question. (laughs) Here are some of the characteristics of great questions. First of all, all great questions coming from a leader arise from genuine, respectful curiosity. If I'm asking one of these questions, it's because I genuinely do not know and I want to know. Set that against the prosecutorial style of a question, which is where I know the answer and I'm going to try to trap you or manipulate you in some way with the answer that I already know. So all of these great questions arise from genuine, respectful curiosity. The second characteristic of all great questions is that they are what I think of as invitational questions rather than, as I mentioned a moment ago, prosecutorial questions. They invite people into a conversation and into a discovery process. Great questions also give people time to engage. Because they're great questions, because they're led by curiosity, they don't trap people into giving knee-jerk responses. It gives them a moment to think about it and to ponder it. In fact, I will often tell people, I'm going to ask you this question in a minute. And I say what the question is. Then I back out of the question and make a comment or two or put the question in a context. And then I come back and ask that question again. All right, so here's my question again. If I'm in a group of three or four people or 30 or 40 people and I'm going to ask a question, I may point at a person and say, hey, Biff, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you this question. And then I'll say what the question is. And then I'll pull out. I'll say, I'll come back in just a minute and I'll go to the whole group and mention to the group the context of the question. Then I'll go back to Biff and ask the question again, rephrasing it, saying it again so that he can get up to speed with it. Because great questions are usually ones that take a moment to think through. And we don't want to trap people and make them embarrassed with these great questions. So give people a little bit of space when you're asking a good question. Great questions not only come from my genuine respectful curiosity, but they tend to create genuine respectful curiosity. They create a get-closer-to-reality kind of desire on the part of people who are around. And we craft the questions in such a way that people get genuinely curious. Questions create, by the way, an instant limbic or emotional reaction in people. That reaction may be, oh, I should know this. Oh, what's the right answer? Which is kind of a threat reaction. Or, huh, that's interesting. Let's think about that. There might be something here. Kind of a reward sort of reaction. So not only do great questions come from curiosity, but they create curiosity. Here's something interesting that's also true of questions of any sort. Good questions or great questions, but certainly not questions that are threat type questions or prosecutorial questions. These good questions hijack the brain. Whenever I ask someone a question for that moment or for those minutes that they're pondering that question, that's all they can think about. They can't think about how much their knees hurt. They can't think about what's in their checking account or whether or not that person is going to accept the job. They can't think about anything except the thing that is the theme of the question. So good questions hijack the brain. Also, here's another element of good or great questions. Good questions lead to more good questions. Good questions may lead to deeper questions. Every question leads to another question. It's not a futile search because eventually we get to this nugget of gold or better yet, a river of gold that we uncover by asking these great questions. And lastly, this is so cool. I love this about questions. Questions uncover 
our mental models if we'll just listen when we ask the question. And you know, we've talked about this so many times, our mental models are these mental constructs we make of what reality is. Because we do not experience reality as it truly is in most cases, we experience a model of reality. And most of the time, most of our human brains are content with a model. <laughs> We're fine with something that approximates reality just enough for us to get through the world. But we do that so often that from time to time, we actually have these mental models, these assumptions, these constructs that are really wrong, but we're still comfortable sitting in them. So I have found one of the most beautiful ways of uncovering mental models, mine and other people's mental models, is through asking questions. I had a conversation earlier with somebody in one of our companies who had made a series of decisions over the last four or five years that she found herself not liking. So she sat down last week and asked herself the question, how many times have I felt like this about a decision that I made? And she wrote out a list. How many times have I felt like this, that I made a decision, started to make a commitment, moved down that road, and then didn't like where I was going and I felt trapped or I felt like I had to unwind myself from that decision. So she found in the last couple of years, three years, something like that, she found a few examples of this, maybe eight examples, I think, if I remember correctly, of when she had done that. Then she asked herself another question. Is there anything on the surface that these decisions that I made, that I regretted having made, had in common? She pondered that for a while and found some things. And then she asked, is there anything else they may have in common? Is there anything they may have in common with respect to when I made those decisions? or with whom I was speaking when I made those decisions, or what time of year it was. And those simple questions helped uncover for her, I think, one of the most profound things she will have discovered about herself and her career. It's going to be a really cool thing to see what she does with that. That comes from the fact that her questions helped uncover for her a couple of mental models that were off. So there you go. All really effective leaders are curious and they ask great questions. It comes from, from curiosity, from the courage and humility that it takes to have genuine, respectful curiosity. So those are some of the characteristics of good questions or even great questions in some cases. Now, let's zoom in here for just a minute because you may have a question. You may say, well, what's an example of a great question? And how can I use that in my work as a leader, manager, supervisor, and influencer? How can I use this? How can I walk away with a tool here that I can use when I don't feel like it? Well, first of all, let me uncover a mental model. If you think that your success, your effectiveness, your value as a leader in your organization is in your answers, you are probably incorrect. Your greater value is in your questions. And your questions will lead folks to come to the right answers, to good answers, to the best answers. Moreover, your questions will help develop judgment of the people and sharpen your own judgment. All right. Four questions. If I can share these with you, these are all linked together and one follows the other. Question number one, burn this into your brain, tattoo it on the back of your hand, emblazon it on the whiteboard in front of your desk. Here it is. Question number one, what do you want? So when someone comes to you with a challenge, a problem, a situation, an issue, or when you're finding yourself in a corner and you're, you're muddling your way through something, you're noticing significant resistance, any of those things that are happening, pause and ask, what do you want? Understand that you are assuming something behind that question, that what a person wants is not necessarily what they need, and they don't know that yet. 
It's also highly likely that when you ask this great question, so tell me what do you want, that they will not be able to answer it quickly. They'll need to ponder it a little bit. I want a glass of water (laughs) is not the answer that they're going to be giving you. They're probably going to offer you a solution or what we call a position on something. I want this. I want a new truck. I want better working hours. I want this agreement to be solved quickly. I want, this is what I want. They'll present something that they've been thinking about for quite a while as the solution to a problem. They may be right, but you're asking the question, what do you want? Now, if that's all you ask and you really listen and you really get them to think, what else do you want? What else do you want? That kind of thing. That's quite valuable. But let me recommend you take it another step. Here's question number two. Once they say what they want, ask them, okay, if you get that, what do you think that that will do for you? And then turn that diamond a little bit. What do you think that will do for your team? What do you think that will do for our mission? What will that do for those we serve? In other words, what you're asking this person with question number two, what do you think that will do for you, is what is the result you're trying to achieve? So if you get this thing that you've imagined, if you have this thing put in place or this thing taken away, this thing you want, what is the result of that that you hope it will achieve? You and I know well that often what we go after, what we desire, what we crave does not meet the need that drove us to crave that in the first place. That is not only true on a personal level, on a small group, family, friend level. It's true on an organizational level and on a larger societal level. Often what we're clamoring for does not meet the need that created the desire for that thing in the first place. Oh, you know that though, right? It's just nice to be reminded of that. Here's the third question that I like to ask, and it links with it. Remember, what do you want? What do you think that'll do for you? That is, what result will you think that will achieve? And third, what are a couple of other ways besides that of getting that result? And don't let a person off the hook until they've come up with at least one other way, but usually two or three other ways. This is called divergent thinking. If you can diverge from the one thing you're focusing at and broaden your scope and realize there's more than one way to achieve this result that I want, then you'll be able to relax with the results. You will not beat your head against a wall and make it a personal thing if someone says you can't can't have that, but this is possible over here. And both of them could achieve the result. Oh, I mean, come on. How cool is that? So your third question is what are one or two or three other ways that you can think of of getting that same result? It causes us to loosen our grip on that position that we have taken. Here's the fourth question. Wow, this is a kicker. And I ask this over and over and over when we get to this place with a person. Okay, what are you willing to do to get that? Let that settle. Often you'll find yourself in a leadership position where people are trying to delegate upward. They're frustrated, they're irritated, they think all these decisions are all on your lap and they come to you and they back up the truck of upward delegation and they dump it all on your lap and they dust their hands off and drive away giggling maniacally out the window. (laughs) But that's not how it works. So if somebody comes to you and they want something, what do you want? What do you think that'll do for you? What are a couple of other ways of getting that result? And the last one, what are you willing to do? And when are you willing to do it? This is such a kicker of a question because if a person is unwilling to engage to get the result, then we will not be successful. 
All right, there you go. Some of my favorite questions that I like to put together, and I use these often. You could sneak up on me and say, what are those questions again? <laughs> what do you want? What do you think it'll do for you? What are some other ways of getting there? And what are you willing to do? When are you willing to do it? <laughs> there we go. Those are great questions. <laughs> By the way, back to my friend on the phone when I was talking with her, and she said, well, that's a great question. The only one of those four questions that I recall that I asked her was, what do you want? That's the only one because it went off in a different direction and I probably didn't use this discipline in her case. I don't know that all the other questions I asked her were great questions. I think she was probably just asking for a little bit of time to think about the average question I had just asked her. <laughs> so if you walk away with anything out of this, aside from the fact that Bib and Tucker is pretty good and this crazy Alice cigar is pretty good as well, walk away with this question. What do you want? And it's not going to be what a person immediately says. Understand that it, what I want, if you ask me that, what I want is going to go in two different directions. One direction will be me focused. I want this. I want this for me. I want it because I want more comfort. And if that's what I want and you give it to me, then I'll be back for more. Because it is a bottomless pit whenever I focus on myself. Whenever I focus on comfort, it is a deceptive and bottomless pit. The other direction I may go when you say to me, what do you want, is I'm going to be focused on someone else. I'm going to be focused on at least one other person. But more, more than that, maybe it's going to be on my team. I want this because I want my team to be able to have this experience. Or I want my team to be able to be successful. Or better yet, I'm going to be saying I want this because it will help us accomplish our mission better. I've said so many times before that when I can see the choice between comfort and adventure, I'm going to pick adventure every single time. Why? Because that's where life is. If I pick comfort, I'm going to have a slow death. In fact, hanging in one of our businesses is a big banner when you walk in the front door that says, comfort is a slow death. <laughs> but it is, because comfort is all about me. And if I'm focused outwardly on something bigger and better and more significant than myself, even if it's just one other person, I'm going to be mission-focused or other-focused, if you want to call it that, then I will come alive. Okay, so when you ask me that big key question, what do you want? <sighs> Listen carefully because I'm going to tell you something that I want for me or I'm going to tell you something that I want for other people. Ah, well, here we are. Ask more questions. That's really what I'm suggesting to you. How many questions have you asked today that you did not know the answer to? I dare you to go through the rest of this day taking mental note of how many questions you ask compared to how many declarations that you make. <laughs> you may be surprised. By the way, little tip. We found through our direct research of now nearly 2,500 leaders as a part of the 1201 study that great leaders, the most effective ones, have a five to one ratio. They ask five questions for every declaration or comment that they make. Five to one. You may be close to that. That's wonderful. I wonder, are you? Huh, that's a great question. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for taking a little bit of time while I share with you this Bib and Tucker bourbon and this crazy Alice cigar. You know what, my friend? You're doing good work. I hope to see you around the corner. And someday I'll have you sitting right over there in this smoke-filled, bourbon-infused sound studio we've got. Ah, <laughs> uh, have a great day. Talk to you soon.
And I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but you may want to check out our YouTube channel that has this kind of information, lots of helpful tips for folks who are in leadership, management, supervisory positions, or if you're an influencer of people daring folks to do great things. Check us out on YouTube. It's the HILT, H-I-L-T, Academy, High Impact Leadership Training Academy on YouTube. Some great stuff. Join us over there. Subscribe when you get there. 